I don't know if I still have to whisper. I don't know. It feels like 100 years since I've done this. So welcome, everybody, to Kassan Live. Thank you for joining Alex and I today. Uh, I see a bunch of familiar faces out in chat, though. Wow, Ern, Tom, Tia, Nick, uh, Michael, Mark. Thank you, everybody in chat uh, who's uh, who's with us today. We have a fun, I think, timely topic right now, giving a whole lot of things going on. Uh, but I also know right out of the gate, we do have some kind of legislative heads up things happening. So, Alex, would you like to just in? Would I like to just? You cut out there, and I think you're frozen. Oh, did I? Oh, legis legislative things. Legislative that, uh, things. that we have going on. So, um, well, I, I think this will set up our, our topic pretty well because we are going to get into, um, I, I think, you know, the, the broadly the, the players in in the advocacy space here and and who we are identifying as you know the opponents and and who everybody is sort of going up against. But um, really quickly, I, what this maybe not be very quickly. Um, it is the beginning of the 2023-24 legislative session. And uh, so we've already seen, uh, I guess, about a half a dozen or more bills um, coming through the wire. Uh, special thanks to Lindsey Stroud at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance for uh, being on top of all of this stuff and uh, catching some of this stuff before our tracking system even found it. Um, so uh, without getting too long-winded here, um, here are some states that everybody needs to, you know, if you, if you live in Connecticut, Indiana, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Washington, and maybe West Virginia, uh, this will be relevant to you. Uh, of course, relevant to everybody because some of these, uh, bills get copy pasted into all the other states. Um, so, um, right off the bat, uh, we actually do have a, a committee hearing coming up in North Dakota next week. Uh, this is on the 17th, and that is Tuesday, uh, and that will be at 8.30 a.m. North Dakota time. Um, is North Dakota Mountain or Central? Oh, you're asking the wrong I'm, guy. <laughs> I am definitely asking the wrong person. <laughs> I literally um, tell everyone through the middle of the country to just figure it out every, every week that we would do this. So apparently both both of us are not good at figuring out where central time ends. Yeah, and unless you live begins. on a coast, I can't help you. Yeah, but uh, so whatever, 8, 8.30 in the morning, uh, North Dakota time, this uh, committee hearing will uh, begin. This is HB 1357, uh, and we'll have links to some of this stuff in the, uh, in the notes. Uh, and this one uh, may also get a call to action. Um, but this is this would prohibit prohibit direct to consumer shipping of tobacco products, essentially remote sales. Um, I know that within the community there are sort of some different views on these types of bills. Um, but for our from our perspective, uh, adults who are losing access to vapor products but could still buy them online, um, we we need that. We want we want people to be able to buy these products. Um, so. Uh, that will be uh, January 17th, 8.30 a.m. in the House Industry, Business, and Labor Committee, room 327C. And if you want to submit written testimony or sign up to speak, uh, again, you'll be able to get there through the link uh, that we'll post. Um, uh, you need to do that before January 17th, 7.30 a.m. So have your testimony and your request to speak in an hour before. Um uh, oh, thank yeah. you, Nick, for clearing we were both this up. Like right and wrong, <laughs> all at the same time. 
So uh, unfortunately, I don't. I just took all this information off the legislature's website, and they didn't specify. So I guess you just have to know uh, if you're in North Dakota, you you apparently know whether this is Central or Mountain Time. Um, so, uh, or I guess it's wherever the state house is located, which I'll figure that out before we put anything else about this out there. So anyway, uh, North Dakota looking at a ban uh, potentially on uh, direct to consumer shipping of vapor products, tobacco products, etc. Um, and then we'll just get back in here sort of in alphabetical order. Um, Connecticut, uh, a bill has been introduced, HB 5381. Uh, this would be a flavor ban and a nicotine cap. The, the cap would be set at 35 milligrams per milliliter. Um, Kassau is opposed, opposed to both of these proposals. Um, Indiana is looking at HB 1214. Um, I think I had some problems with my brain on figuring this one out. Um, this, uh, it's a tobacco and e-liquids modifies the definition of tobacco product to include a product that contains nicotine and is not approved by the federal food and drug administration for tobacco cessation provides that an e-liquid distributor shall purchase and distribute e-liquid from an Indiana e-liquid manufacturer or Indiana e-liquid distributor. Um, uh, I think everything except for the I guess you can, I don't know, some of this sounds like it might get into the interstate commerce clause, but um, uh, restricting people from to purchase tobacco products from an in-state distributor is actually pretty common as I understand it. So um, anyway, that's uh, happening in Indiana, Indiana, which has a history of introducing not just bad, but corrupt legislation. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that one. Uh, New Hampshire has an interesting one, and I'm not sure where this will go, but um, to give you maybe an idea of the state of things up here in New England, um, New Hampshire is looking at a bill, and this language confuses me as well, but I, I think um, basically uh, it would grant authority to the commissioner uh, to annually set and publish the tax rate for tobacco and nicotine products. Um, uh, tax rates shall be a maximum of the lowest rate charged for equivalent products in Massachusetts, Maine, and Vermont, taking into account any secondary or sales tax, and a minimum of 8% below the lowest such rates. So I, I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, it, to me, this sounds like uh, New Hampshire is codifying, undercutting all of its neighbors, uh, in, in terms of taxes and selling tobacco products, yeah. uh, which of course, New Hampshire was one of the biggest beneficiaries of Massachusetts flavor ban and menthol ban. Um, sure. So it seems, sure. seems like they are looking to solidify that uh, and enshrine it in their state code. Um, yeah. And the next- Live free or die and take money from your neighbors. There you go. That's uh, uh, on the New Hampshire like state board. If you can, if you, if you can, <laughs> that, if you can fit that on the license plate. Go ahead. Um, uh, Washington uh, has SB 5239. Uh, and uh, this, I'm, I think I, I probably should have made more notes on this one uh, because the description is very vague, an act relating to protecting public health and safety by enhancing the regulation of vapor products and tobacco products. Um, I suspect that has something to do with banning flavors uh, and perhaps more restrictions on retail sales and, and who knows. Uh, I should know because I should open up the bill and read it, but this may not, let's see, we got an original bill here. Um, I'm not going to make you sit here and listen to me 
figure out what this is all about, but we will likely have something up about this. All of this to say, oh, I, I almost forgot um, West Virginia. Um, yeah, this is uh, the the Washington bill is, is uh, <sighs> this is uh, upon determination by the secretary that a characterizing flavor may be harmful or pose a significant risk to public health. The secretary may prohibit the characterizing flavor in cigarette and other tobacco products. Pretty vague and looks like um, the state sort of making attempt here an attempt here to swoop in and take over some of FDA's jurisdiction, uh, which would be product standards. Um, West Virginia, just to round out the list, uh, word is that West Virginia is moving on tax reform. And whenever we see proposals for tax reform, doing away with certain taxes, uh, tobacco is where people kind of end up to make up those, uh, those differences in revenue. Not sure how popular any proposal to add extra taxes on cigarettes or other tobacco products is going to be in West Virginia, just to say, um, if you're in West Virginia, keep your eyes peeled and your ear to the ground. Um, this may become an issue. Not a lot of confidence right now, but just just know that we're all kind of watching what's going on there. So um, I, I included this because, first of all, these are bills that are introduced and there's more to come. Uh, I think a bulk of states sort of come online in, in the beginning of February. So um, over the next uh, two or three weeks, we expect to be um, seeing more legislation introduced. Uh, but I figure this was probably a good way to uh, introduce some of what we're talking about here um, because um, legislation is where the, all the magic happens. And uh, just this pro sure. tip from yeah. Stephen Allen Adams, who is a, uh, a journalist, uh, government uh, watcher, reporter in West Virginia, uh, provided this helpful pro tip on Twitter earlier uh, or yesterday. Uh, tip for the public and new state house watchers. Focus less on the bills that are introduced and more on the bills that make committee agendas. A lot of craziness gets introduced. Most never see a committee agenda. We have a lot of that here in New York. Um, and uh, yeah. people may know the name Linda Rosenthal. Um, she tends to introduce uh, a handful of anti-vaping legislation every year, uh, and there's really no guarantee that it goes. It all sounds really horrible, um, but it's, a lot of times it doesn't go anywhere, and it'll come back introduced by someone else, uh, and they keep introduce, introducing the same bills over and over again. It may even get a committee assignment, um, but it doesn't necessarily move anywhere. So um, all of that really to sort of hopefully assuage some people's anxiety about a lot of the horrible stuff that we're going to see over the next month. Um, most of it won't go anywhere. Um, but the stuff that does, we want to make sure that we're ready and focused on, 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 you know, driving engagement to stop or in the off chance support something. Um, so uh, sure. that is just, just in my short tenure here with CASA, the amount of bills that I've seen introduced that we've had quick discussions on, that have just sat on someone's desk or they get tossed out or whatever. And we, you know, we never have to do anything for them. Uh, is, is, a, is quite a lot. It's quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. So um, before uh, we move too much further along, um, is there a, a chance that you could possibly share links to all of those things with Kristen? So that way she can um, kind of get them out to the masses. Uh, I did. I'm, I'm, um, I know I'm throwing a curveball right in the middle of the right in the middle of the show here. 
Uh, yeah, Chris, the, the the link to all the, uh, to this document with all the links to all the bills is in our our private Skype chat, um, and so uh, uh, Kristen will have access to all of that and can put all of that in the notes. Perfect. Um, and or just uh, awesome. kind of drop them in the comments as we go if you like. Um, so we've got all that going on, and um, are we going to run the bumper for the? Uh, yeah, I totally, I'm totally, hi, I'm new here. Uh, I missed the first bumper. Kristen already yelled at me about it. So yeah, if if we're through uh, with legislative stuff for now, then uh, then I think we're ready to, I guess, explain if big tobacco is the biggest threat to vaping. Hit you it. ready? All right, Alex is... <laughs> Big tobacco, <laughs> the biggest threat to vaping. And by big tobacco, I think most people know uh, that we're talking about incumbent tobacco companies. Yeah, so, um, it's, so yeah, we, we are talking about the incumbent tobacco companies, um, but uh, this gets a little bit more complicated because we are sort of now talking about the top five vapor manufacturers by market share, uh, which includes... Yep tobacco incumbent tobacco companies um so you can go to the fda's website and look at the list of all the products that have been authorized and a lot of the things that we are we expect to see uh starting in this session and and moving forward until the regulations are uh you know kind of rejiggered to be more appropriate um uh, a lot of this stuff is going to feel like all of those companies are against um the independent vapor industry. Um, so I, I figured we'd start with some some background here. Um, I, I did I, I did kind of skip ahead because we're not quite at what is big tobacco's stake in vaping. Um, but I, just to kind of set the table here, we have seen legislative efforts spearheaded by tobacco companies um, in the past. And um, a lot of that has taken the form of uh, small per milliliter taxes, uh, I, some, uh, those of you who've been around for a while may remember, uh, Reynolds was actually pretty well known for, for shopping around a five cent per milliliter tax. Uh, I believe they were behind the five cent per mil tax in North Carolina. I don't have a running list of all of the States, but they're mostly Southern States. Um, I do remember having an opportunity to speak with somebody from Reynolds at a, uh, at an event in Chicago once, uh, when the Kansas tax bill was running away from everybody. Uh, what originally started as a small per milliliter tax quickly ballooned into something like 20 cents per milliliter. And uh, it was out of control. And, and uh, it, it just took everybody by surprise, uh, I think, because not many of us knew about it until it became a huge issue. Uh, and then I actually had the opportunity to speak to somebody from the company and say, hey, you know, you guys kind of screwed everybody in Kansas. What were you thinking? Uh, here's a state that is is poor because they stopped, they lowered taxes and have huge budget deficits. So, you know, where was the calculation that said that they weren't going to go crazy with this tax bill? Um, and that was, I think, probably the best example of a small per milliliter tax running away from the people running the bill uh, and turning into something huge. Um, so we, we haven't seen too much of that recently. Uh, and, and taxes seem to have become less of a threat year over year. Right now, the big things are going to be flavor bans. Um, and a flavor ban was something that we saw. And, and it was sort of it was it was absolutely a misstep by a company that's pretty good at making missteps. 
uh, Jewel actually ran a flavor ban bill in Florida and were reaching out to their customers saying, hey, support this flavor ban. Uh, and uh, I had, had since spoken to somebody with Jewel and received a, at least a person, a one-on-one -on -one kind of apology. Um, it was, it was again, a misstep. Uh, and we had some of this in the early days. Uh, I remember, you know, Enjoy had their government relations team who, who we knew and were friendly with, and they were, you know, knowledgeable and supportive of the independent vapor industry. But whereas they would be going out, you know, educating people about the products and, and about what appropriate policies were, the, uh, I think, uh, the, the like executives of the company weren't really on the same page and started saying things publicly about banning flavors and so on. Sure. And so there was this disconnect between, you know, the, the higher ups at the company and the people who are actually on the ground in state houses. Um, but that was something that was ultimately resolved. And, and so there, there, there are a lot of missteps going on within just the vapor companies. Um, but these things do hopefully get ironed out before they turn into policy. Um, another uh, legislative uh, effort that we see um, pretty regularly, we've been seeing this for a few years now, is preemption. Uh, and essentially, yep. this is prohibiting local of regulation of uh, tobacco and nicotine products. And uh, a lot of this, I think we've seen uh, in regards to where it, it kind of got its start in preempting uh, indoor smoking laws. Um, but now, you know, it's even more important because municipalities are moving on banning flavors or adding their own taxes if they're able to do that. Um, and uh, and I, I know that I've referenced this several times. Uh, Carl Phillips has, a, I, I, and I'm having a hard time finding it recently, but Carl had, had written a, a blog post on, it, on his blog, Anti-THR Lies, um, talking about why uh, he, as uh, an outspoken uh, liberal, uh, is uh, uh, actually in favor of not just state preemption, but federal preemption of tobacco regulations. Uh, this, you know, public health laws uh, do best when they are implemented at the highest level of government. You have, you know, some of this homogenization across the country uh, rather than having sure. to deal with this patchwork of, of regulations where people can hop over the border and get something new. So um, preemption as far as, uh, you know, regulations on, on low-risk products, uh, is something that that CASA supports. Uh, we we don't want to to see a patchwork of regulation across states. It actually creates more problems than it solves, uh, and and yeah. and so that's that's kind of where we're at. Um, and uh, I had a little note here on what is floor versus ceiling preemption, but I think I'm running a little bit long, so uh, I'll I'll skip some stuff here. Uh, floor being minimum regulations, ceiling being a maximum. Uh, and so kind of what we're looking at, uh, the best example is the Tobacco Control Act. Uh, it sets a ceiling on what uh, uh, states and municipalities can do, uh, which is that little quip about Washington's bill that may be reaching into product standards. Product standards is the jurisdiction of FDA. Sure. States and municipalities can do sales uh, and, and you know, regulate retailers, uh, but they can't get into the manufacturer of products. Um, and so all of that's going to be relevant going forward. The final piece of legislation that we're going to see more of is the PMTA yeah, exemption. Yeah. Um, so think New York's flavor <clears throat> ban uh, as a model for what we'll see this year. Um, I think we're expecting this in about half a dozen states. At, uh, and, and we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, and, and yes, uh, so as some people may be suspecting, and, and I'm going to confirm here, this is being run by a tobacco company. 
Uh, it may be supported by more than one, but I don't know that all of them are supportive of this. Uh, and so this is where it gets kind of murky and, and, and where we're getting into answering the question of, um, did I get it? Did I get it right? Who I didn't is the get biggest it. threat? Is that the question where, oh. no? Boom. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> there we go. What's, what is big tobacco <laughs> stake in vaping? Um, and, and, and the answer to all of this is that incumbent tobacco companies now do have a stake in vaping. Um, and so uh, in order to protect uh, their products and protect their attempt at, at sort of uh, rebranding themselves, uh, tobacco companies are going to have to go, it's not, it's not just going through the motions, uh, but they're going to have to get in, get in, get in line with FDA regulations. And we all know that FDA does not have the human power to enforce, uh, PMTA on all of the companies, all of the shops all over the country. And so what FDA does is they usually partner with state and local health departments or health authorities. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, part of that, uh, you know, FDA isn't a lobbying organization, but the campaigns can pick up the torch there and uh, lobby for bills like a PMTA exemption bill um, and uh, or just banning flavors, which is probably what they'll go for, because. Uh, apparently, even after, you know, a generation of lobbying for FDA to take control of tobacco products, uh, they they don't like the way FDA is doing it. FDA is not banning things hard enough. And so they're taking this fight to states right. and municipalities. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it, it's a it's a difficult situation because in some cases, a PMTA exemption is probably going to be the best that any of us are going to get. Uh, we're going to be out lobbied by tobacco companies and out lobbied by the campaigns. Uh, and, and so we just sort of end up getting, you know, whatever they can argue the best for. Um, so <sighs> I swear to God, deep, I'm going to keep doing that. I, I promise you. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I, I think we've, we've pretty well, uh, you know, uh, uh, established, Tobacco companies do have products that are authorized for sale, and part of keeping their products on the market will be defending their brand and uh, defending, uh, uh, you know, or preventing illegal sales, uh, sorry, illicit sales, uh, and going after people in the underground market, all of those things. Uh, and that means lobbying in, in support of laws that will grant states more authority to police the industry. Um, and this is something that is expected of them. Uh, this is not unique to tobacco. This is across all industries. If you are a big company and you're making these products and you're profiting off of this, uh, you are expected to, to, to pull up some of the slack in enforcement. And all of the major tobacco companies have divisions that deal with illicit trade. Probably some of the best reporting and best data on illicit on the illicit tobacco market comes from tobacco companies. Uh, and, and, and so this is just something that's expected people at tobacco. Don't, they don't wake up every morning and they're just like, oh, I'm going to screw the little guy here. It's, it's not really how this works. Um, that might, that might be how business works certainly, but, um, in terms of, of what everybody wants out of, uh, lower risk products on the market, uh, this is really just something that's expected of the, the, you know, companies that have seen authorizations. So, um, 
all of this to say should be obvious at this point that um, uh, tobacco companies are invested in this category. They have their own brands out there. They sure. want to get their own brands on the market. Uh, and they're also kind of, you know, promoting themselves as being a solution to the problem of smoking that they created. Uh, and uh, so we see, you know, Philip Morris has their own sort of smoke-free future campaigns. Uh, also, Philip Morris mm -hmm. funded the uh, Foundation for Smoke-Free World, uh, which a lot of the antis are sort of referring to as a big PR campaign. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's real money and it's going to real research that can really help the rest of us. Uh, and so I, for any anybody who's yeah. kind of pooing foundation money, um, I, I know I understand that there's some uh, consternation. There, there are some issues with the way uh, that money is being uh, handed out. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't have all the details. Uh, certainly that money, a lot of money could be used uh faster and, and, and more effectively. Um, but this is, sure. you know, it's in the hands of people who I think do see the vision here. Um, and regardless of whether or not it's coming from a tobacco money, that money is going into research that can be helpful. Um, uh, Reynolds uh, also has its own smoke-free portfolio, uh, whether we're talking about Camel Snooze or Views. Um, and I, I, for, I don't know if Reynolds has a nicotine pouch. Do you know, Logan? uh they do it's velo i i don't i don't want to say yes or no right now my inkling is yes i believe it's i believe they do i just can't yeah. remember who it is i don't what, know if what I it do. is am i gonna get like taken out by the youtube gods if i if i flash a product on the screen i probably shouldn't uh, so uh anyway I, yeah i mean i i sit here and vape on a product but i don't show uh yeah, we don't have QR codes or, I'm, I'm, or URLs. Yeah, no. Um, I'm yeah. pretty sure yes, but I mean, I I only use one brand of pouch, uh, and it's it's not a pouch that's put out by Reynolds. So I I want to say yes, but I'm not. I, I I'm sure they do. I had a little brain fart there. Um, I, Velo, that, aren't, I believe. Aren't there? Aren't there? Um, aren't there don't, yeah. Never mind. There's, there's Velo and Epoch and um, uh, Velo. That's what I was. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. But I wasn't. Uh, I didn't want to throw the name out there, and I couldn't remember if that was Reynolds or not. Yeah, Velo. Is my mic not on? <laughs> no, it is. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, so Velo and Epoch, I think, was bought out by Reynolds. Um, anyway, uh, actually, Epoch made a really great black licorice nicotine pouch that I liked for a long time. Um, and uh, you're one, and of, yeah, you're one of the black licorice folks. I can't yeah. do it. Well, uh, only only for snooze for some reason. So, um, oh, that's uh, it, like not actual black licorice. Yeah, I can't do black licorice. No, it's it's flavored. It's, there, it's, it's it's flavored uh, 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 nicotine pouches, and they're black. They're pretty good, but they yeah. changed the they changed the recipe, and it's not great anymore. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, oh, and I'm seeing uh, Lucy nicotine pouches. Apparently, that's interesting. Uh, the nicotine gum company. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, I, have, I have so many things I want to say about that company that I'm just not we'll, going to. Yeah, we'll not we'll not do that. Um, so and yeah, I, I, swear not do I, that. I, I am going to I'm going to make this go a little bit more efficiently. Um, so anyway, uh, it, it, it should be clear to people by now that tobacco companies do have a stake in all of this financially. They have product lines. They have entire smoke free portfolios uh, that that should be promoted and. Uh, I'm sure to many people's dismay, Casa supports that. 
Um, one of the things that we've been saying for many, many years is, uh, you know, if we are if we are truly interested in quickly deploying a harm reduction strategy and having these products as accessible to as many people who smoke as possible, tobacco companies are in the best position to do that. There are a lot of things that they need to do. For example, when you walk into your convenience store and you see that the what's called the power wall behind the cash register, and you'll see power a row of you know just Marlboros taking up six slots on that wall. Well, tobacco companies need to change that and have just one for Marlboro. How about we have most of the space occupied by smoke-free products? Uh, when I go down up the street to, to the gas station near me, about a third of the display is for smokeless products. Uh, and I've seen, um, I, I think Zen has kind of crept in where the cigarettes are. Uh, and these are things, this is that kind of marketing is what we want to see from tobacco companies. And they're in the best position to do it because they've got all the contracts with the real retailers. Uh, and so they can make sm their smoke-free portfolio more prominent to people who smoke. Uh, and so um, they are invested in this and they should be supporting policies that uh, keep these products accessible to consumers, people like you and me who used to smoke or don't want to smoke anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, the power wall has been getting better in the last few years as far as seeing kind of that space growing of smoke free products, nicotine pouches or or what, you know, vapor products are still available. Um, but yeah, I agree. I'd like to see like a whole 180, two thirds of that shelf, that space should be smoke free products where as now like or at least for a long time, what smoke free products you would find outside of, you know, the section of of um, just loose oral tobacco would be like down in the bottom corner, you know, mm -hmm. you're not even going to see the the pouches or, or you know, um, like enjoys or something like that or whatever, until you got up to pay for the thing you already told the cashier you wanted, like, you're not even going to see those, those products until you've already said, Hey, can I get a pack of marble 100s? And then you're like, Oh, what's that? Oh, I'll buy it. You know, maybe I'll check it out later. Not today. Like we kind of yeah. need to reverse that. We need to put eyes right front and center on those products instead. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, that, that may be happening slowly, uh, and, um, you know, Casa supports that and, uh, we hope to see more of it going forward. Um, I, uh, uh, to kind of round out this section, first of all, I, I should have said this at the beginning, the only reason why tobacco companies can sell vapor products is because of the independent vaping industry slash vaping community uh, who built all of this. Uh, this and and, and sure. this yeah. should just be like this is kind of one of those things that should be a disclosure at the top of any time we discuss like what tobacco companies stake is in this industry. The reason they are able to have a stake in this is because all of us got together fed up with nicotine replacement therapies fed up with all the, 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 the other therapies and treatments and 1-800 quit lines and all that stuff. And also not getting really the products that we not getting the products and innovation that we as consumers want from tobacco companies. And so people said, we're just going to do this on our own. And, and, and all of this happened on ECF. It all happened on social media. It happened in people's homes. It happened in, you know, tiny little conference centers, uh, in, in crappy little hotels, uh, people coming together for vape meets and and sharing their recipes and and having fun and quitting smoking. That's why all of this is here. And and all of you out there who started all of this deserve all of the credit 
for any of the good that comes from this. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's as is typical, um, you know, in, in the business world, um, it's usually the larger fish that come along, gobble up the technology, gobble up the innovation and start making all of the profits. And in the case of tobacco, they're able to do that very, relatively easily. Um, it's not easy, but it's relatively easy because of the Tobacco Control Act. Um, so right off the bat, if we wanted a simple answer for who the biggest enemy of vaping and tobacco harm reduction is, it's Congress. Let's just, it's sure. Congress and yeah. campaigns. They're the ones that wrote the law. Yeah. Uh, tobacco companies at the time, of course, saw an opportunity to insulate themselves from competition. Um, that's a business decision, but not really an enemy of the category. Um, so uh, hopefully that, I think, makes some sense. Um, and all in all, um, I think one of the things to point out here is that this shift in focus from what products tobacco companies are going to be selling uh, is being, it, it, it's the, the, the antis are trying to brand this as essentially an empty public relations campaign. Um, and that was uh, some of the um, uh, arguments against Foundation for Smoke-Free World uh, and any movement that a tobacco company makes toward promoting smoke-free products. Um, and uh, it's the, the note I have here is incumbent tobacco companies are routinely called out as trying to whitewash, for lack of a better term, uh, their past by pivoting to sales of smoke-free products or otherwise supporting some anti-tobacco legislation, think minimum sales age, marketing restrictions, and so on. Um, which in some cases, uh, I think it was the CEO of uh, PMI, uh, I think was on um, Sky News or something a couple of years ago talking about uh, you know, being being grilled on the fact that, you know, PMI and other companies are still marketing to young people in some countries that don't have robust marketing restrictions. And the response was, well, then those countries need to pass laws limiting marketing because the companies apparently can't just decide to stop marketing things on their own because there's another company, their competitor will swoop in and gobble up that market share. Uh, and then the shareholders will just fire the board and get some people in there who will market. Um, and so it, it is one of those situations where more laws have to be passed in order to level the playing field. Um, and I think that's uh, some several people have commented on this. Clive Bates has <clears throat> spoken out about it, why this is not going to happen. Uh, and, and I'm sure Carl and, and Chris Snowden and, and other folks have commented on this. So I'll refer you to their comments on, sure. on, on that. Um, but all of this to say, uh, Tobacco companies absolutely have a stake in this industry and they do want things to succeed. Uh, and as I mentioned before, it was the independent folks who innovated these products and, and popularized them and actually gave tobacco companies kind of the green light to get into the market. Um, and uh, it Which is- Which we should note wasn't until you know, years into into vaping's existence uh, right. that any tobacco companies entered this space. It right. was what, what, 2013, 2014, before we saw really any introduction from tobacco companies. Up until then, it was it was just the independent vapor space. I don't know when Mark 10 came out. And um, I, I, yeah, I'm not totally clear it's one of things it's like, it's like 2013 either way it was yeah. years it was years 20. down the road before you know and like you said this was this was an industry from the ground up built by consumers reviewers folks online consumers like 
there was there was no involvement out of the gate for years from tobacco yeah. companies. And yeah, we hear yeah, all no, the they, time, they were, you know, that vaping is just a big ploy by tobacco companies and all of this and that. Well, without so, that historical context, I mean, it can't be a ploy by tobacco companies if they weren't the ones who started this. Right. Yeah. The narrative doesn't fit the timeline. And part of the reason for this is that, you know, incumbent tobacco companies are just, you know, they're massive corporations and they are under sure. the scrutiny of federal regulators. So they were not really in a position to go take a chance on a bunch of vapor products. Uh, and uh, and so it wasn't until uh, I think the independent vapor industry started chipping away at their market share, not necessarily, you know, alarming, but noticeable. Uh, and and of course, sure. this has been yeah. confirmed by uh, not necessarily an economic look at things, but the Progressive Policy Institute released their report showing that 60 to 80 percent of the increased decline in smoking is attributable to the availability of vapor products between 2014 and 2017, I think, were the years that they looked at. Uh, and so that does send a message. The golden to era. <laughs> yeah, the golden yeah. era. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> all of that to say. Tobacco companies have a stake in this and they're not out to just crush the market. Um, so okay, so uh, I was just going to say, if incumbent tobacco companies, tobacco com big tobacco companies involved in the vapor space are not our biggest enemy, I wouldn't necessarily be you know, inclined to say they're our buddies, our best pals, they're always on our side. But if they are not our biggest enemy, then who is? Because it's really easy to just... To point at the evil big tobacco companies that sell the number one, you know, product that kills people. It, it's so easy to just say they're our biggest enemy. But if they're not, then who is? And I don't there's there's nuance to this answer, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And there's some history here. Um, so uh, yeah. you're right. It is very easy to point to the boogeyman that we've all kind of accepted. Uh, tobacco companies are guilty of some extreme evil uh, and, and they've acknowledged that and they've been held accountable for that. They continue being held accountable for it. Uh, and, and now they're in a position they can't get away with anything just for by way of example. Uh, when I have any correspondence with somebody at a tobacco company, the, 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 the rule is know that anything you write in an email, anything, anything in writing uh, between you and, a, and someone at a tobacco company, there is a high probability that that will end up in front of a judge and it will be public information. So if people think that tobacco companies are getting away with the same stuff they got away with in the 50s and 60s, it's completely wrong. We have a law about yeah, this. under a microscope. There, yeah, there, there is a lot of enforced transparency here. Uh, and so it, it's, it's, it's important to think very critically about the messages we're getting from all of the public health campaigns. And these are the organizations that seem that are putting up the most resistance to any form of harm reduction related to nicotine. And the history here uh, is, and I, I don't really have a piece of writing or an article or anything to, to link to. Um, I, I hope it's out there somewhere, and I, I don't want to be the only one who believes this. But um, you know, back in the early '80s, uh, tobacco control actually did have an opportunity to uh, sort of inform the public about the continuum of risk within tobacco products. Uh, I, I, Brad Radu would actually probably be the best to speak on kind of the history of research on smokeless tobacco, sure. but 
it should have been apparent through epidemiology or, you know, just, you know, looking at the numbers, which is kind of epidemiology, um, uh, that, you know, sure. people who use smokeless tobacco were not experiencing the same uh, early death and disease, at least not at the same rate as people who smoke. And so the idea that you could switch from a cigarette to a smokeless tobacco product, even in the 80s, uh, was something that that I think was known. And, 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 and so it, it was so known that when Skoll uh, released a campaign uh, that was sent the message was take a pinch instead of a puff. All of the anti groups jumped all over them and said, you're making a modified risk claim that and that was the language that that they were making a modified risk claim about their products and you can't do that. Um, so it was known that the continuum of risk was a real thing back in the 80s. But instead of promoting a harm reduction strategy, all of the campaigns. So we're talking American Lung Association, American Cancer Society, American Metal Medical Association, American Heart Association, World Health Organization, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. All of these organizations decided to take more of a zero tolerance approach. And that's where we get the message that there is no safe tobacco product. Let's be really clear. I don't think there's any safe municipal drinking water, but we need it. No, and no. there are ways to reduce your exposure to chemicals safe. in your drinking water. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think the idea of absolute safety yeah. uh, from any product thing, activity, whatever it is that you do uh, is, is, is just nonsense. Um, right. And, and it's, I think that's tough for a lot of people to grasp. Uh, and it's easy to think like, oh, this thing is safe. No, it's not. There, it does f- complete and utter absolute safety doesn't exist. That's not a thing. Everything we do, every activity, the foods we eat, like you, the drink, the water we drink carries risk. It depends on proportionate to what proportionate to the alternative. What is what is that that risk assessment? But, yeah, the idea of like, well, yeah, there is no safe tobacco product. That's that's one of those. Like, yeah, that's a fact with no nuance, no explanation, no regard for anything else. It's it's a, it's a yeah. blatant carpet like fact that's easy yeah. to throw out there. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really explain anything. <laughs> I am comparing. I'm not comparing water to vaping. We're, we're talking about safe, uh, safe, the word, the concept of safe. Uh, for those listening, uh, that was a, a comment from from Maureen. Uh, just to clarify, uh, no, I'm not not comparing vaping to water, but it is this concept of relative risk. Uh, thank you, Ern. Safety is a yeah. relative term. Uh, absolute safety is an impossible bar, and I don't think there's a there is no product on the market that meets that uh, that, that those criteria. Uh, and so it, it's straight up propaganda. Um, so. Uh, uh, and I'm, I kind of lost. My, oh, so yeah, it's all the organizations and this impossible bar of absolute safety. Um, and of course, the campaign for tobacco free kids uh, has been around for a while. Um, uh, they, uh, I, I think, have gone through several name changes, and I apologize for kind of screwing this up. Um, but eventually, it, it became the, what we now know as the campaign for tobacco free kids in the wake of Master Settlement Agreement and the Tobacco Control Act. And their mission, of course, is to lobby in favor of CDC best practices for implementing the Tobacco Control Act and improving public health or whatever, uh, whatever the fine print is on their website or wherever the mission statement is. Um, and all of these groups, of course, are um, are, are, are well-funded, which we get to next. Um, and uh, I, I highlighted uh, some things here. 
Um, anyway, all of this has been going on since 2009 uh, with, in regard to vaping. Um, uh, one of the first things I had the opportunity to read one of Kassaw's early calls to action, I think it was 2010, and it was a flavor ban in New York. And it, it's actually really kind of interesting to see that, you know, our position and the language that we use to promote this call to action hasn't changed. Uh, it, it's, it's the same issues over and over again, and it, it went all the way back to 2010, long before uh, we had like, you know, the supersized mods or people are chucking clouds at fire uh, or at... Uh, um, uh, smoke detectors. Two thousand. Did we even have ego batteries in two thousand ten? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's before my. I was still smoking menthols, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I was. I was chain smoking Camel filters in two thousand ten. Yeah. Um. So, uh, hopefully that sort of uh, I think outlines you know who is really opposed to vaping, uh, and then of course. Uh, the next question is why? Why are they so against us? Um, and uh, and I actually kind of skipped ahead here, uh, and that was you know talking about what happened in the early '80s with with Skoll and and going after them for making a modified risk claim, which is objectively really just a Coke versus Pepsi kind of marketing tagline. Um, but uh, they are against vaping because it's it's a tobacco product. It's nicotine. And uh, it, this this is this does get even more nuanced. And, and I think one of the things is, uh, you know, I think what people have been uh, inclined to do is sort of compare tobacco companies to Hitler, uh, which is just sort of the go to like if you need a bad guy, uh, that's kind of the easiest bad guy to point to. Um, but uh, it, it would be like allowing Nazi Germany to profit off of rebuilding Berlin or something. Uh, and it's just for a lot of people, not just tobacco control activists, that's unacceptable. And so the idea for a lot of people that tobacco companies would profit in any way off of selling low risk products uh, is absolutely abhorrent to them. And and so they have chosen this path of pretty much zero tolerance, um, which part of it is a, a consequence of, of the law. And the other part of it is just a consequence consequence of their very narrow minded ideology. Um, so, uh, I, I, I think that checks a lot of the, there, there are several answers to why, um, but to oversimplify it and boil it down, it really comes down to ideology. And, and I think a lot of people have their blinders on when it comes to talking about this as a drug policy issue. Um, you know, we are having conversations about decriminalizing and legalizing all, all drugs, hopefully. Uh, and regulating the marketplace so that people have access to safe supply, they have more access to treatment if they if they come to that point in their experience that they need that and they want that, they can approach these situations without feeling uh, stigmatized. Uh, it's it's less dangerous for people. It's more welcoming for people, and we can improve public health by bringing people in instead of pushing them out into the shadows. Uh, and those things apply for tobacco products as well. And so uh, it, it's it's our hope that you know by continuing to do what we do, continuing to, to have all of you, you know, speak out about this, that um, we can change some of those opinions slowly, but surely uh, we just need to be persistent. Um, and so uh, I, I hope I've answered the, why do, why do they oppose vaping uh, question? I don't know. Did you have anything to add to that? I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep our time down. Here, no, so. no. I, I mean, really, I, I, I personally just think a lot of it just comes down to, to ideology. You know, I mean, it's, and you can look at this in in any um, 
you know, in any in any drug space, whether we're talking about cannabis or or opioids or something like that, um, regardless of how much science backs harm reduction measures, um, you know, from from the late 70s on, um, there are there are groups who will oppose that that zero tolerance policy that, you know, no amount of this is safe, this idea that, you know, um, somebody could freely go use a drug um, that has been regulated by the government is just absurd unless you're in some form of medical setting, unless a doctor has given it to you or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, this goes back hundreds of years. We've been doing this, uh, you know, through temperance. And I mean, in, in different parts of China at one point, you know, it was it was people were murdered in the street by their government for using drugs or, or what have you, or even smoking tobacco. So, yeah, I think I think the ideology, uh, the prohibitionist ideology, that temperance ideology is just something so ingrained in, in humanity that that really. And then from there, we just get campaigns and groups that pop up from these folks. Uh, I think that right there really is is the biggest the biggest enemy in my eyes, as far as, you know, not maybe not pointing the finger at one particular group or another. But that mindset, that ideology, that driving force is is really the biggest enemy. So that kind of dovetails into the next question is, which, which is who benefits, who benefits. <laughs> um, so it's, who it's really from banning safer products, Alex. Uh, well, it's a tremendous fund fundraising uh, uh, tagline here. So that's why we've yeah. seen youth use numbers sort of blown out of proportion. Uh, and I know we've got some comments about mm -hmm. kids getting interested in this, and, and I, I'm not here to deny the fact that young people are using these products. And I've certainly heard from some people who describe how I understand young people can uh, quickly habituate or quickly progress to habitual use of vapor products. Uh, the, the fact that these products are discreet and easy to use uh, is probably the most significant reason, uh, not necessarily the marketing, uh, not necessarily the flavors, but how easy it is to use these products constantly throughout the day. It's not something that we had I'm with sure. cigarettes, habitual use. Did, but it, that, that, that is an issue. And, and yes, I am talking about habitual, habitual use, not addiction, um, because we're not going to blow this out of proportion like all the campaigns. But to answer and the I, question, what I mean, I was just going to say is, is habitual use is really one of the biggest driving factors in any uh, dependence or addiction. The idea of, you know, one hit and you're hooked for your life, regardless of what the drug is, uh, is, is utter nonsense and, and right. not backed by any evidence ever. It's, it's the repetitive uh, and habitual use that leads people into a, a, a dependence or, you know, possibly an addiction, depending on the substance and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, so if, if you have ease of access, um, then yeah, you know that there's a higher chance that you're going to get these products more and then use these products more, whatever the product so, may be. So to uh, hopefully quickly answer this question, I'm going to refer everyone to a very long uh, but worth the read article um, from Michelle Minton, uh, who we've had on here, uh, oh, Fear Profiteers, How E-Cigarette Panic Benefits health advocates. So the beneficiaries of all of this anti-vaping propaganda and the people who are putting out the anti-vaping propaganda are all of the campaigns that we mentioned in the previous section. Um, and uh, they are getting cut in. There is some government grants uh, funding some of this stuff. Uh, and uh, there is, of course, private money. 
Most notably, Michael Bloomberg has pumped $160 million. Uh, I think that it's a, it was a three-year period. So I think that's kind of come to a close. It was 2019. Uh, I think it was 2019 or 2020 when he made that announcement. Um, I remember seeing him on CBS Morning News. Uh, he uh, basically adapted some like nonsense talking point about smoking cannabis, lowering your IQ. He took that and applied it to nicotine vaping. Uh, in both instances, oh, yeah, that's it was like, yeah, oh god. Uh, and like of course, he's sitting points. on a panel. He's he's being interviewed by the folks at CBS Morning News, and Matt Myers is sitting next to him, and absolutely nobody questioned him on it. Um, so thanks for, I don't know, being journalists or something. Um, and uh, so this 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 really gets into this, and I think one of the phrases that I picked out of here is uh, fighting for this money like jackals over a carcass. Um, and, uh, so in, in one of the things that, that Michelle, uh, mentioned, I can't remember if it was this article or another one was this sort of health charity government agency alliances. One of the things that, that is really supposed to be a hurdle is that, uh, you know, ideologues who find themselves in government aren't suppo supposed to be able to lobby in favor of certain policies, uh, that, that is illegal, uh, but funding somehow can, you know, work its way after being washed in the blood of Jesus somewhere to these campaigns. And then they will pick up the mantle and they will lobby federal, state and local governments to implement policies supporting all of the anti stuff that we see going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, now that we've got Michael Bloomberg in the mix, uh, one of the numbers that that uh, I think has been has been shared around is. Uh, I think he outspent tobacco companies two to one on the California initiative. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and of course the, the initiative passed. I'm glad that he spent all that money uh, because he doesn't have it anymore. And that initiative would have passed without his help uh, because California is pretty anti-tobacco. And uh, I don't think anybody needed to take out a single billboard in favor of that proposition. Um, so I'm sure that all of that really just raised a bunch of money for all the campaigns anyway. Um, but sure. that's 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 really what this comes down to is that, uh, you know, with the advent of vapor products and the larger discussion about reduced risk products, um, these groups are, I think, feeling starting to feel their irrelevance. Uh, and so they've had to sort of trump up a new boogeyman, uh, which is not it's the same boogeyman. It's tobacco companies. But they've had to lie and twist the truth and make it sound like tobacco companies invented all of this stuff just to hook your kids. And everybody here listening, hopefully everybody, knows that that is not true. Um, but these can't, it's not going to stop these campaigns from fundraising all of the sensational nonsense that they put out there. Um, we've also seen examples of politicians uh, uh, being funded. I think it, one of the things that, that Michelle points out in her article here is that uh, health officials in other countries have found themselves being completely paid for by Bloomberg money or other uh, organizations' monies, uh, you know, in in pursuit of of passing stricter laws on vaping or tobacco products, um, and and this all basically smacks of corruption. And I, I really wish I, I had uh, for anybody who doesn't know Mark Gunther or hasn't read any of his stuff, he's done some extensive reporting on this issue uh, with regard to Michael Bloomberg and the Truth Initiative. Uh, and so definitely check out both Michelle's work on this uh, and and Mark Gunther's work on this. Uh, for some some more in-depth detail. But to simply answer the question here and move along, uh, it is it is the uh, the self-appointed public health campaigns that benefit the most from this. Not your kids, not us, 
It's it's the campaigns, uh, and they have got. Yeah, it's it's such a big shame to see this, um, you know, in a lot of these middle and low income countries too, because it's it's you know they're dangling all this desperately needed money in front of them that they can use for all sorts of things, whether it's in their health sectors or infrastructure or what have you. All of this money that these countries need is being dangled in front of them, and they're you know basically these this is these are the stipulations that come along with this money is is these tobacco policies and things um and it's just it's a it's one of those things where like can you blame can you blame a country necessarily for taking that on or not i almost don't i think it's i think i think you know this falls back onto the hands of you know bloomberg and these campaigns that that dangle this money in front of them yeah, it's a lot of it. And, 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 and yeah, it's it's sort of it's just really this uncreative approach to thing. It's a very Old Testament way of dealing with things. Sure. Uh, and it, 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 yeah. it is it is just not consistent with the the, the, the contemporary movement of, uh, uh, I think, reevaluating how we approach drug regulation and drug policy and 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 and, and improving public health. It's just uh, anti-science. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, it's, it, it, it's anti uh it, it, it is. And we've seen this behavior from the regulator. So now we have a, a, a director at the Center for Tobacco Products, Brian King, who seems to be willfully complicit in uh, advancing the political agenda of the campaigns that, that obviously have his ear. Uh, he'll do a Q&A with the Pave Moms and Truth Initiative, uh, but won't take you know 30 seconds to answer a question at uh, the Global Tobacco and Nicotine Forum. Uh, in fact, he was sure. whisked away by handlers uh, and Guy Bentley had to chase him down in the parking lot to try to get an answer out of him for something. Uh, and so it, it is very clear where his allegiances lie uh, and, um, you know, motivations there may be to advance in his career. Uh, and it's certainly not to protect the public health. Um, so uh, yeah. there's there's Brian King for you. So uh, we've got the who benefits most from the bans and uh, I'm about to run over time, but we've kind of answered the where do they get their funding, uh, but there's some more background here. Uh, the master settlement agreement uh, provided some uh, funding for the campaigns. Uh, it was supposed to go, uh, you know, most, uh, a bulk of uh, those funds were supposed to go into tobacco prevention and education stuff. Uh, and I, I think uh, Kristen has wrote some, uh, some notes here out of the billions of dollars, the billions of dollars that has been collected through the master settlement agreement and dispersed to states, 700 million. That's it. That's all that's been spent on tobacco control the measures. Fraction. So yeah. uh, one of the things that I'm fond of including in some of our written testimony is uh, if the state believes that these interventions are, are worthwhile, then they should be fully funded, which most states do not. Uh, and this is another thing I'll uh, keep dropping Lindsay Stroud's name, but she is a diligent researcher yeah. in all of this and uh, her 50 states analysis, um, you know, looking at what the state laws are and how they're funded, if they're funded at all, is an excellent thing to look up. Uh, Taxpayers Pr Protection Alliance. Um, uh, definitely check it out and follow her on Twitter. If you're not following her on Twitter uh, or if you even if you can't stand Twitter anymore, um, uh, definitely follow her and she'll she'll post those links from time to time. Anytime we see a bill come up, usually a link to her work uh, will come up as well. And that gives it, it gives you all the information you need to know about how much states are not actually funding any tobacco control measures. Um, 
So uh, let's see, we had the $160 million that Bloomberg has put up uh, over three years. Um, we got over the $47 million that he spent in California. Uh, that's $47 million compared to $25 million by uh, tobacco companies, uh, which I think was largely Reynolds. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's sort of, uh, that's not the only money that he's contributed. Uh, he will fund some of the small local or state efforts, uh, out of his own pocket, um, to deal with some of that stuff. Um, so I got my $700 million wrong. Sorry about all of that. Um, but you know, we also had Johnson's Johnson and Johnson is in on this as well. Uh, they, I think provided kind of the, the seed money, the endowment, uh, for campaign for tobacco free kids, or was it truth initiative? Um, sorry, I should really have all of this stuff committed to memory, but there's only so much room up here. Um, uh, so, uh, the, the funding is coming, not just from, you know, tax revenue or government sources, uh, or, you know, grants. Uh, but it's coming from uh, funding from from a pharmaceutical giant and uh, Michael Bloomberg, who it just apparently has an axe to grind with anything that isn't Snow White and pure. Um, so sure. I think is that yeah. end of my my slides here. Yeah, so, no nicotine and no big sodas for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, I, I I hope we've kind of addressed some of what. Uh, folks are, um, uh, you know, it, it, as you mentioned, it is really easy to sort of point the finger at tobacco companies. And, you know, for most people, it, that is that is the most obvious uh, uh, villain here, because they do have the most to gain. And I had actually recently heard that producing vapor products actually has a, a higher profit margin now than than cigarettes. Um, so it, they they are motivated to gobble up as much of the market as they can. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, these are the perils of, of business. Uh, this is what we would expect sure. to see in any industry. Uh, as long as, as that's the way of the world, that's what we're going to see. But tobacco companies don't actually have any, there's no benefit to them in crushing the entire category. Uh, and uh, if anything, they should want to protect the little guy because that's where all the innovation and progress is going to come from. That's where it all did come from. Uh, of course, they're going to run it yeah. through their own labs and their own development process and come up with something that, you know, is sort of homogenized and probably a little bit lamer, verifiably lamer than what you'll get in a vape shop. Um, but uh, that's, that's how, you know, we've got cars. That's, that's how, that's, that's why it's, it, you know, designs and cars and safety and environmental and all this stuff is slow to progress and all of these things because, you know, they gobble up the technology, they put it into their product and, you know, there's a sort of slow forced obsolescence over time and they milk every last dollar out of all of those products to, to recoup their investment in developing these things. Um, so uh, it, tobacco yeah. companies don't really want to crush us. Uh, if anything, uh, they end up kind of being our biggest ally in a lot of these fights. Um, but that's not to say that we find that we don't find ourselves on opposite sides of certain issues. And we expect to see a lot of this this year. Uh, and, and that's why I mentioned the PMTA exemption bills. Um, we would rather not see states move on these things. 
I want we want to see independent retailers able to stay open. Um, it's it's still very dodgy. Uh, you know, it, it uh, ironically, people who are selling nicotine are sort of uh, sort of stuck in the trap that, you know, that, you know, marijuana dispensaries are in. Uh, where, you know, the federal regulations are harsh or just straight up prohibition. And so there's kind of this like, you know, cat and mouse game that goes on. There's a lot of retailers, a lot of uh, 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 manufacturers out there who are doing their best to kind of fly under the radar so that they can keep supporting their customers, uh, which, of course, are people who stopped smoking. Uh, and, and we all want to see all we want to see this category succeed. Tobacco companies have a financial stake in seeing this category succeed. And so it's it's not as bad as I think a lot of people are inclined to believe uh, as far as tobacco companies role in all of this. Uh, and I'm not here to be an apologist. They have made because uh, we're we are we are not a tobacco company apologist. Uh, if there is anything uh, uh, that, that, that we have said about tobacco companies is that they, they should be paying for this. They should be paying for the solution. They should be funding organizations like CASA. They should be funding trade organizations. Uh, and, and they, they need to help all of us to elevate their consumers' voices so that we can be included in policy discussions and in research, uh, which is something that we're going to get into this year. Um, and, uh, I, I don't have anything completed to share with anybody, but, uh, this is a very serious part of the conversation going forward, uh, not just including, uh, consumers in, in, you know, committee hearings, but in research design, uh, and, and how that research is discussed, uh, and, and, and decisions that the regulator is making. We need more than public comment sessions with the regulator, uh, in order to share our experiences and, and what we need from the industry and from, and from policymakers. Um, and, and tobacco companies can and do support us in doing that. So, um, I, I, I hope that, you know, as a result of this, and hopefully this is a reference that people can come back to from time to time. Uh, we really, I think, need to refocus our, our energy on, uh, you know, sharing the truth far and wide, as we have been doing. I'm sure some people are rolling their eyes and sighing and saying, well, we've been doing this. Um, but uh, it, it, it really is, I think, important to, to point out who the opposition to us actually is. Uh, and, and that is the organizations and people who claim to be working in defense of public health and claiming to be saving the children when the reality is they're actually exposing all of us to more risk. So with that, uh, we have definitely gone over the hour. Um, any closing thoughts or things? Uh, I know that I've, I've kind of skipped over some of the granular details here. Um, but, uh, I know that we've got a lot of links out there and people can, can check things out. So, um, any, any other questions or, or things that, that we need to, um, and I, I see a question on the screen now. <laughs> um, so okay. if, uh, yeah, we've got a question from Mowgli Vapes, uh, who writes, if a U.S. tobacco company quits selling smokes and switches to 100% vape products, will that excuse them from paying their share of the MSA, which for folks who don't know is the master settlement agreement? So there's no, there's no master settlement agreement for vapor products. Um, the money that uh, tobacco companies pay into the settlement 
uh, first of all, is based on on market share, and uh, and it is based on sales of cigarettes. Uh, there's a separate MSA, I believe, for smokeless tobacco, um, but there's nothing for vapor. There's nothing for nicotine pouches, uh, unless nicotine pouches fall under some sort of definition somewhere. Um, but I think uh, not a lawyer, not legal advice. Uh, and if tobacco companies take legal advice from me, then we're in a lot worse situation than we imagined. Um, but I do please believe give all of them legal advice, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I think I think you're you're correct. Uh, the, the question, the answer to the question is no. I don't think if they switched completely to vapor that they would have to pay MSA. Um, would that also affect uh, CTP user fees and? The money that the Center for Tobacco Products gets from that, which is by no, the way, completely um, funded it's by. it's it's companies that are regulated by CT by FDA are paying into the user fees. So uh, regardless all of, the of the product, it's right. If you if you're if you've gotten right. through the authorization right. process through CTP, you are subject to paying user fees. Right. Okay. Yep. Before anybody else asks, I just wanted to throw that one in there because it's kind of. Oh, who was behind the ridiculous line. truth ads? Um, the simple answer is the Truth Initiative. Uh, I don't know the company <laughs> that they contracted with to do that, uh, but they really do manage to put out some absolute garbage. Um, I, I think uh, if you did some digging uh, around, and, and I, I forget, I've already forgotten that person's name. I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to find you here in the list. Um, Oh, I saw that question earlier and I wanted to answer it. Uh, anyway, uh, the person who asked that question, who are behind the Truth Initiative ads, I'm not trying to be smart ass. It is the Truth Initiative uh, and they hire an ad, an ad agency to do these things. Um, and, uh, and I imagine that the pitch meetings are really just a bunch of people sitting around a table saying, ooh, this is clever. Uh, but there's no, I, there's no real science going into these campaigns uh, other than, of course, no. the, the FDA did look at their real cost campaigns I think this is back in 2018. And Kathleen Crosby, who is the uh, director of communications at Center for Tobacco Products, got up in front of a room full of lawyers and said, we did some research on our real cost campaign ads, you know, the brain worms and stuff. And we determined that adults should not see these ads. Uh, of course, there are plenty of adults who did see those ads, and it has uh, continued sure. to uh, skew people's understanding of the risks associated with nicotine that doesn't involve smoking. Um, so... Yeah, uh, absolutely horrible stuff, and um, and and hopefully at some point, um, yeah, we can get that sort of PMI. Question we've got from yeah, from Green Eyed Lady. Uh, will PMI be paying MSA money for sales of ICOS? So, uh, just for clarification, Philip Morris International does not do business in the United States. Uh, it is PMI USA. Uh, and, uh, I would think yes. Uh, well, I, I actually, I'm not sure. So this is a definitional For thing. I'll have to research this. Um, what yeah. is, uh, how is a cigarette defined in the master settlement agreement? Uh, I just don't know off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, and I, I'm not sure if the modified risk order would exempt them, uh, from making those payments. Uh, and that is, of course, if PMI USA does uh, end up marketing ICOS in the U.S., uh, there's 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 issues with the lawsuit. Uh, I'm not an expert on this, but uh, if as long as ICOS is manufactured in the United States, whoever ends up selling them can sell them. But right now, Altria 
cannot sell them because of the lawsuit with Reynolds. Um, and it's, right. it's all very complicated and I can't say I thoroughly understand it. Um, but, uh, uh, if it is PMI USA, then, um, uh, we'll have to check the definitions. So, uh, another one from Mowgli, uh, vapes. So big tobacco companies aren't locked into MSA payments. If they switch 100%, that sounds like a major incentive to quit selling smokes here. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, but uh, one thing that people should understand is that declining cigarette sales, declining revenues, uh, it, it, which I don't know that they've actually experienced. Um, you know, one of the things that actually helps tobacco companies out in terms of revenue is uh, raising taxes. Uh, go figure. Sure. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, it does seem like an incentive, but all of those payments uh, have sort of been factored in uh, to, you know, quarterly revenue year over year stuff that I should know more about. Um, I don't, I don't invest in tobacco companies, so I, I really don't watch a lot of that stuff, but I probably should because there's a lot of useful information that comes out of, uh, you know, quarterly earnings, uh, meetings. Um, but, uh, all of that to say, uh, you know, for example, uh, when, uh, there was the, when, the, when Juul was, uh, received the marketing denial order, uh, the market reacted by selling out of Altria. Well, it was kind of ridiculous because Altria's calculations for the year actually didn't factor in Juul doing anything. Uh, and so Altria was not actually hurt. I mean, they have a 35% stake in Juul, um, but the, the MDO uh, should not have hit them the way it shouldn't have hit their stock price like it did uh, because they, they didn't really count anything from jewel in terms of future revenue sure. um so it was simply it was right. it was all sentiment driven um all of that to say uh tobacco companies are aware of how much this costs and doing away with master settlement agreement payments by switching to smoke free or just switching to vapor um, may not be as big of an incentive as we imagine right but the profit yeah. margin should be yeah and of course yeah. you know yeah helping <laughs> helping people oh, i mean that would be great, right? If that was priority number one uh, for all of us. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I think that's a, a, oh, we got another one here um, from Mr. Addy Tooney. Kasa, just wondering if the Aussie survey, the Australian survey, which is ending soon, will be mentioned. Yes, uh, I was just going to mention that kind of on the wrap up. Go for it. Did, did you want to? Oh, yeah. No, go for it. Uh, I therapeutic think it's, this is as good a place as any to wrap things up because I am going way long. So <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, Addy. Uh, it ends on the 16th. Uh, the Therapeutic Goods Administration is seeking public comment on potential reforms to the regulation of nicotine vaping products in Australia. Uh, the potential reforms are aimed at preventing children and adolescents from accessing products while supporting access to products of known composition and quality. There's a whole list of things here that Kristen sent me to say, but it just ends in a bunch of dots. So yes, uh, here is the mention of it for everybody. It does end on the 16th. I will go ahead or Kristen, can you go ahead and drop the link to that uh, in chat? That would be fantastic. And I wanted to wrap this up with my favorite question that I've seen so far, which comes to us from Mallory Gates. Where are my brain worms? Um, we all have them, Mallory. They're just uh, imaginary and invisible, uh, but we all most certainly have them. And contagious. 
Yeah, and and contagious. Um, my best advice for avoiding brain worms, uh, you know, just regularly, maybe once in a while, just wash your drip tips. There. I think everybody should just wash their drip tips, wash your mouthpieces once, just you know, once in a blue moon. Blow your nose. Oh, wash anyway. your, dip, your dip drip tips. Yeah, wash your hands. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Basic hygiene and stuff would be good. Probably a good idea for for everybody. But that does seem like an excellent place to wrap things up. Thank you, Alex, for all that. You did an excellent job, Ryan. That was a lot of information, uh, and you, sir, did a fantastic job. Is it, should I do the spiel? Do we still do spiels? I'm so out of practice here. <laughs> I feel like it's been a uh, lifetime since. Uh... I'm 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 going to make you do the spiel, but before that, I do want to thank Kristen for compiling a lot of this information and a lot of it I didn't yeah, get to. You, um, yeah. But uh, special thanks for Kristen to doing this work like three weeks ago before the break, before the weather uh, events uh, kind of had us taken off. So um, yeah, that was you, a lot of us not being around for a little bit was me, uh, and dealing with weather and stuff like that. So I, I apologize for that, everybody, but, uh, we are back in full force in full swing for now <laughs> until I get buried under seven feet of snow again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. Yes. Thank you again, Kristen. Uh, and yes, there are, there's a link there that Kristen just dropped, uh, from Casa in chat. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, that this is this is just open, right? Like this is not limited to just um, Australians. This is this is kind of open, as far as I know. I could. I don't wrong. have a better but, answer for you. I I looked at it briefly. Yeah, and to my me, to my like, knowledge, this is this is open to all the world. Okay. This awesome. is. I'm not going to say otherwise. Planet Earth, you you can comment. So. You know, unless you're living on a satellite station or the moon or something, um, as far as I know, yes, this is available to everyone to comment on. So please do. Um, that's it. I think I think that's it for the show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, right. I guess the spiel. God, I don't even know the spiel anymore. Kassa. Head over to Kassa.org. Uh, if you're not a member yet, you're doing absolutely everything wrong. Please head over to Kassa.org. Sign up. Become a member today. It's absolutely free. And we, we promise not to flood you with emails, just the stuff you need to know when you need to know it, what you need to do about it. Um, you can also, while you're over on our fantastic website, thank you, Danielle Jones, for all the work on Casa's awesome website. Uh, you can check out merchandise, which we have plenty of. You get to be a walking billboard for tobacco arm reduction, so pick up some swag. If you haven't submitted a testimony, uh, testimony yet, please do share your story. Our stories are just one of the most powerful things we have, and going forward, being more involved uh, in research, in legislation, having our voices heard, those testimonies are that much more important. Um, so if you haven't done that yet, please do that as well. Uh, if you are on the Book of Faces, the Facebook, I'm not, I can't stand the site, but if you, you know, if you're there, if you have one, if you exist on Facebook, uh, check out your your state groups. We have all 50 states and, and uh, you know, everywhere else, territories and whatnot. So if you if you live in somewhere controlled by the United States, yeah, we have a we have a state group for you. So check it out. Uh, get involved there. It's a great place too uh, for things that are really local and small. If you're hip to that, you you catch wind of something that we haven't picked up on yet, please let us know. That's a great uh, resource and tool just for the community at whole at large. Um, I think I think that's it. I don't know. Did I miss anything? I think you nailed it. You're nodding. Yet? What did I miss? 
No, that was a that was a that was a no. You didn't miss anything. Yes, I think you nailed. Oh, okay. It. That was that was a no. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, as far as I know, too, we will be back uh, in two weeks' time from today um, for more discussion. Hopefully, maybe we'll have a little bit more info on some of the legislative things coming up soon. Um, if not, maybe maybe you know definitely soon. If not next week, more information on some of those things. So that is it. We are out of here. Thanks, everybody. Be excellent to each other. We will see you guys next time.